This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arn Labs podcast. Our special guest today, so far away from me in Miami, Florida, is Rachel Lambert. Ray, thank you for deciding to join us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I, I'm really excited to talk to you because I don't get to meet people in Miami. This is maybe it sounds weird, but I know more people in almost every other city on the planet than Miami. And this is where I live. Me too, me too. I just moved here a year ago. So yeah, I don't really know that many Miamians. Where'd you move from? I've lived several places. I was like traveling internationally before I came here. I lived in New York during the pandemic. And then we went to my husband's hometown to regroup during COVID and then we're traveling for a while. And then we kind of got tired of traveling and we were here for a conference. So we're like, yeah, let's just move here. <laughs> let's just stay in Miami. Let's just do that. Yeah. I, I actually love it here. And I think I also love the fact that the tech, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but for me, the tech scene here is fairly weak. So same. Yeah. And I should, before you think I'm too much of a Miami stand, we're actually not staying. We're moving in July. Final answer, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We're like, we're glad we came and we liked it, but we decided it wasn't for us long-term. Okay, well, we're gonna talk about some of that. And that's cool, that's cool. But it's kind of cool that there isn't a lot of tech here because you can kind of escape it when you get home, as opposed to like when you're in San Francisco, you can't even sit outside anywhere without somebody talking about tech. It like it drives me crazy. It's that. true. Yeah, like in line, getting your coffee, everyone. It's just like tech, 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 tech. I know. And you're, at some point, you're just like, stop. Talk about anything else, please. Anything else. So you don't get that in Miami, which is kind of cool. Um, but sometimes it's a bummer because you want to go to a tech event or you want to meet some people. And it's not necessarily easy to do that. Anyway, give everybody like two minutes about what you're doing, Ray. So we get a kind of, kind of baseline of where you are today. Over the past five years, I had been building a product marketing agency called Olivine. We do positioning, messaging, product launches for B2B SaaS companies, and it's been going well. Um, but I'm kind of stepping, unwinding my role there. The company will still keep going and growing. Um, but I've been dabbling in some projects, and I think one is worthy of going all in on. Uh, my husband's a data scientist, so we like, we try, we try things together, um, with like varying degrees of success. He built a patent kind of analyzing tool engine that went absolutely nowhere. Patent people are very hard to build for. They're the last adopters on earth. Could not get anyone to give a single shit about it. Um, so we abandoned that. Then we did the Miami hack week that was here as like a week long hackathon. And we built something with our friend Jonah that did well. It was like a Slack bot. Um, we ended up winning like the grand prize and got some angels to reach out. But ultimately 
just felt like a really competitive space and just kind of like a bucket of crabs. And I wasn't personally excited enough about the project to like make that my sole focus. But I think I found the one, um, which we can talk about later, but I started this thing called all in meetups and, um, I think I'm going to build some software for that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the all in meetups. Cause that's, I think you somehow ended up on my Twitter feed and you were from Miami. So I got excited cause you were doing something with tech and then you were doing something with these meetups, which I haven't been to if I'm allowed to go, I don't know, but t talk about that. Oh, you're allowed. Anyone's okay. allowed. Are you, do you listen to the all in pod? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. The all in podcast is like a pretty, it started during COVID and it's like four kind of tech tycoons that are all friends. So it's, you know, David Sachs, early PayPal, David Freeberg, early Google, Chamath Palihapitiya, early Facebook, and Jason Calacanis, who's like early Sequoia, invested in Uber. He has a book on angel investing and he has This Week in Startups as another podcast. So that started during the pandemic and I, I latched onto it really early. I really enjoyed it. And I they hosted an event in Miami called the All In Summit, which I went to. It's kind of like a long meand, like a long series of small events, but basically I hosted a women's brunch to kind of help some of the women break the ice because it seemed like a lot of men, which is fine. Like I work in tech and previously finance, so I'm used to working with lots of men. It's like not a big deal, but I was like, yeah, I'll host a women's brunch. And then my mentor slash old boss, Mark, was like, you should invite Jason to your brunch. Maybe he'll come. And I was like, there's no way he's going to come to this brunch. But I invited him and he came and he bought us all brunch and it was amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So I kind of stayed in touch with a lot of those women and a bunch of people I met at the summit. It was a great experience, really good people. And one of the women, Melissa was episode 100 was coming up and she's based in San Francisco and she was considering having a listening party and wanted me to come out because I'd been traveling. So she didn't really know where I was, but I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to do Miami. Maybe I'll host one here in Miami. So I DM Jay Cal again and asked him if he was going to live stream it. Cause that's something they've done in the past. And he's like, nah, but you should, I like the idea. You should start a sign up form, which I did. And it went viral. Um, and so we ended up hosting like party, like meetups in 24 cities, like all over the world. And then I, people really liked it, like loved meeting people in person. So I was like, okay, I guess we'll just like keep rolling with this. And then we did episode 150 in 40 cities. And then uh, the summit is coming up again this September. And uh, they very graciously invited me like for, for on a free ticket. And I was like, okay, well, I'll host my women's brunch again this year, make it annual. That's easy. And Freeberg's like, well, I'll sponsor. And I was like, okay, well. Uh, and so to do all this, like, there's like 7,000 people in the database and like 40, you know, meetups all happening like simultaneously in the same day. I mean, different time zones, but been cobbling together tools to make this happen. And like, there's nothing out of the box that just works. So I was like, maybe I'll build something. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm working on now. All right. We're going to get back to that because I, I have a meetup pro account because I run, I don't run, but I try to manage about a hundred meetups all over the world right now. Wow. It was 200, but we cut it in half because the other hundred really stopped meeting after COVID and I'm trying to rebuild 
that. So that's for the Go programming language community, part of the GoBridge work that we do. So I, I've got at least 100 active meetups right now. And we do something like on the Go birthday, I try to get everybody that week to have a meetup. Um, and it's even with the Meetup Pro, it is really hard to communicate with people and to get feedback. And you don't want to violate somebody's email. And it's not easy to coordinate. You would think that we've solved it, but yeah, it's not. And I don't actually know. I think like for your use case, our wouldn't be our initial focus. I think we're kind of focusing in these the situations where because part of the perks of the meetups that we've been hosting is some of the podcast hosts dial in and people love kind of connecting with that. And that is like a huge amount of work too. So I think we might like our initial rollout would be like kind of mega podcasters with communities, not necessarily these kind of more bottoms up meetups, but it's early. But you know, we have the same problems because you have a hundred meetups and what happens as you probably know, it's the same people are speaking every time because nobody wants to step up and speak. And so you need to have a virtual speaker more often than not, just to create a diverse sort of speaker pool. So part of the work we do is trying to find people conferences are the best, right? Cause everybody wants to practice and I leverage that as well. I can put you in front of, four or five meetups if you want over the next couple of weeks, because you can practice your talk then. And so as conference season now begins uh, heading into the summer, there, there are speakers, but you need that, right? So I've got a, a Zoom account that anybody in a meetup can request a, uh, a live event or something from, right? So, so yeah, these are all problems and they're not 100% solved for some reason. And it's a nightmare if you're the one trying to organize it all. It's good intel though that you have Meetup Pro because I've never tried Meetup Pro and it's like, I would have assumed it solved it. They didn't, their admin tooling is really lacking and they just don't have the time to build out the admin tooling I need. And here's the big thing, just so as you're thinking about your product, one of the main reasons I went with Meetup Pro was mainly for the, the, the data, the statistics, because when I got to go raise money, I have to show what we're doing. I got to show growth and I have to show uh, a whole bunch of things. Right. And so they have the data like that's the brilliant and I can get any report I want. I can say, hey, let me know out of all of the members that I have. Right. What other meetups did they go to? What other tech are they interested in? Like, So the data to me is why I'm paying for it more than anything else. Yeah, there's this new tool called Partiful that's like they're kind of positioning themselves as Facebook events for sexy people. And it definitely has this kind of web three feeling, which by the way, I still don't know what web three is, but like it has this like very, you know, slick, cool, cool kid feeling, but there's no data tracking at all. So if someone like I've had really cool people come to multiple of my events, but I don't have their email. I have nothing because they just like, it, it kind of assumes that you're just inviting your friends over to your own dinner party and like that you don't need to know who those people are again. So I'm like, all right, like I can't use this tool, even though it's like a fun experience for the end user. It's just literally, literally nothing, not even a CSV, like literally nothing. So you're like, all right. 
if people miss that part because they're not thinking about you and me having to at some point raise money and having to get like you have to show the value you're adding with all the time that you're spending you have to and unfortunately it can't be subjective right it has to be it has to be numbers that prove it so it's it's a frustrating thing for the people attending the events because then what happens is they'll be like, they'll see you know they'll hear about it from a friend that there was some event last week and then they'll be like oh you didn't invite me to it i'm like i <laughs> i don't know where i would have invited you like you know it's just i can't so it's not just like a a greedy thing of like oh i want to collect your data it's it's like literally people are annoyed at me for not telling them about these events i'm like well i don't know i don't have you on the list <laughs> So for all those people listening that know our pain, just they're shaking their heads right now. And for those who don't, you should be shaking your head. Cause yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So any, actually any solutions that you kind of come up with would be, I, I would just love to see them anyway. I'll hang I'm, out. I'm, I'm in this world and it drives everything. We, I, I've decided that the meetups drive everything we do as a tech community. I really believe in real life connection and, I think, you know, it has to be done well for sure, because I don't, I don't really like these big rager events. Maybe it's cause I'm getting older or something, but I just want, I want to, I'm not interested in just meeting a hundred people every week and getting to the same 32nd boilerplate. Like I want to start getting to know people and I don't know, being able to help them, being, them being able to help me, whatever. And so I'm kind of into these smaller curated focused events and sure you can listen to all the podcasts in the world or join these, you know, zoom meetings or whatever, but it's just, it's just great to hang out in real life. I'm with you. In fact, I made it a point right now that all the meetup organizers need to, uh, well, two things they need to commit to one meetup a month, right? Cause we pay for it. We pay for it. So one meetup a month and it has to be a live event and I do have some people though, like you can't go a hundred percent live because I have people who live in Kansas who just will never have a meetup there. There's just not mm -hmm. enough people. Yeah. And so you got to still have that virtual meetup for those who are just in, I mean, you're going to New Hampshire. You're, you're about to be a remote I know. Uh, human I being, know. right? So, yeah. right. And you, and it's not fair that you dictate that everything has to be live, but yeah, I think if you're not physically meeting, you're you're missing out on what the whole the whole thing is. All right, we're gonna I'm gonna throw you into the time machine a little bit. See, I love talking to people. I love kind of hearing their story about kind of how they got where they are right now. That that to me is honestly more fascinating than any tech. I mean, it's just because I'm getting old. I'm I'm aging out, as I as I like to say here. Um, so. I'm going to throw you in the time machine a little bit. You are, I mean, you're technical for sure. I know you're technical, right? You, even all the work that you've done, you have to work on computers and got to build stuff. So, so this is fair. So uh, one of my favorite questions is for you to, and I don't want you to think hard on this. The first memory that pops in your head of you like working on a computer and getting it to do what you wanted it to do. Could have been anything, but like that first light bulb moment i think i have two that immediately come to mind one is when i was very young i must have been like seven or something and my mom's friend had 
like one of the original Mac type of computers. And I was just doing paint on it. So it was just like for fun. I was just like, oh, it's like a coloring book, but like on the screen, like, and I was very young. So, I, you know, I wasn't doing anything useful with it, but uh, I similarly like asking people, like, when did you really use the internet? Like, really? And for me, I think it was, a, I think I was a sophomore in high school and my history teacher had this assignment he did every year where you had to define every lyric from We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Because it's kind of like a history lesson if you look through everything. I think my family, my household was like a late adopter because I had a single mom. You know, we didn't have like tons of money. She's not very tech savvy. So we probably were late to the game of like getting like a Dell PC or something at home. But I remember being like, oh, I wonder if the internet will have this because going to the library and like looking through mil like 50 different books to figure it because, you know, every answer is going to be in a different book. I was just like, I wonder if the internet has it. So it took me a you know, with all the like bad pop-ups and the slow dial-up, it probably took me a couple hours to like, actually find something. But sure enough, like in the belly of maybe it was Yahoo search. I don't know exactly which search engine I was using. Someone had already defined everything. So I copy pasted it into a Word document. And then I was kind of like af afraid of being caught. So I just like changed, like went through and just kind of edited some words. And I submitted it and it, I didn't know this, but apparently no one has ever gotten all the answers correct because it's too much work. So people usually get like 40 or 50% of it correct. And so my teacher went like, he, he was floored that I got a hundred percent and he kind of gave this lecture about how girls are more like studious than boys and how they, they like really, they just like do the work. And it's not like busy, you know, it's kind of like busy, busy work. And I just like let him take it, like go on. <laughs> I was going to correct him. Say, well, honestly, like, well, I'm a cheater. <laughs> Not cheater, you're resourceful. <laughs> so I just like, let him believe it. Well, that felt like cheating. Like it, it did feel like cheating. And so I just let him like give the talk about how you know girls roll and boys drill or whatever, and then let it be. And then the next year, he did the same assignment, and half the class got a 100. Mm. And so he came up to me like frantic in the hall. He's like, did you use the internet? <laughs> Tell the <laughs> truth. And I was like, yeah, I use the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that was the first time I really like exploited the internet. You know, I think. Was that like junior high or high school? I think it was sophomore year of high school. Okay. So this okay. would have been like 2002 or something. Yeah. When did you graduate high school? It's always. Uh... Question, 2005. Sorry. So I'm 36 okay. for people who don't want to do math. 2005, you graduated high school. Okay. So like, yeah. So about 2003. It's interesting. And you had dial-up at home then. You were using dial-up at home. Yes. It was definitely like the terrible dial-up. And like maybe people didn't, maybe more like modern households were past dial-up at that point. I, think I don't so. know. But, so, but we were, like I said, my mom was like, my mom's a nurse single house, single mom, like we just weren't particularly well off or like particularly tech savvy, like at home. Where did so you grow like, up? Where, where were you? I grew up in Brunswick, Maine. Maine. Oh, that's why you want to go back to New. Okay. New Hampshire. You know, that's the one state. Well, I mean, there's obviously, I haven't been to every state, but in the New England area, that's the only state I haven't been in. It's gorgeous. 
it's a very beautiful place. I want to go to the end of, so I-95 ends here in Miami, as you know, and I've driven it all the way into Massachusetts, like okay. literally, okay. like I've been on the road. Yeah, I've never gone on I-95 farther than Massachusetts, like straight. So I always thought, like, though I hate driving, like I could take it right into Maine and just say I've, I've done the entire highway. Yeah, you should. Yeah, Maine's beautiful. And there's some, like, Bar Harbor, Acadia National Park is gorgeous. Katahdin, if you like hiking, is a pretty intense mountain. No, people don't really talk much about it, but. I don't think about, see, here, okay, these are the tangents we go on, right? When I think about climbing, I think about Utah. I think about going out there. I, I, and even though I went to school in upstate New York with the Adirondacks and all that, like, I don't know what I think about Maine other than I remember being a kid with the puzzle piece maps. Remember the puzzle piece maps? And I just remember, I think, a lighthouse that they showed for Maine. That's the only thing I remember about Maine. <laughs> yeah, a lot of seafood, a lot of outdoor people, like very outdoorsy. A lot mm. of Mainers love the winter, like equally. Like they, they like the cold. They like I hate cold. Yeah. 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 If you live in Florida, you definitely hate cold. <laughs> I grew up in New York. I went to school up by, I call it South Canada now, up by the Canadian border. And I graduated and I said, I'm done. And I moved in 94. So I'm done. I'm coming to Miami. Um, okay, Maine. So that is super interesting. So you're like a New Englander, but you don't have an accent. So I'm very, everybody says I have a Boston accent, even though I, I grew up in New York. People say that when I say Boston, it's a very Boston way of saying Boston. But yeah, I don't have a main accent. No. No. Yeah, I was shocked. My mom, my mom doesn't have one either. So. That's super interesting. All right. So 2005, you graduated high school and you were using the Internet already to solve homework problems, which is really cool, actually. I guess. I don't know what anyone else was using it for. I don't know. We like a lot of aim, a, a lot of AOL instant message where you'd have like multiple chat windows with like one, an individual chat window with everyone. There wasn't like a chat or maybe there were chat rooms, but I wasn't like savvy enough to find those. See, I'm trying to remember now my, my daughter, my first daughter was born in 96. My last kid, I have five of them there. Uh, 2003. So for sure, I had regular internet by then. I had dial up back in like early 90s. Oh, maybe yeah. I had dial -up. You were probably like very early kind of tech adopter. Like I think my household was just late. Yeah. Well, at some point I had gotten, oh my God. See, these are the weird stories that pop in my head. At some point I had gotten all five kids. I don't remember how old they were. Maybe the oldest was in junior high school each a Dell laptop because they had the outlet store. I could buy them for like 200 bucks. But these damn kids were putting a virus on these laptops once a week. I literally, I, probably, I bet you the kids remember this. I literally lost my shit one day <laughs> yeah. because I was tired of rebuilding the laptops. And I took one and th slammed it on the floor. Went, went, went. Was it okay? Because those were bricks. Like maybe it was actually fine. Did it survive? No, that one did not survive. And I went out the next day and I bought five Chromebooks. 
They were like 200 bucks each. And the kids were like crying. We can't play games on it. I go, you got Google Docs. You got this. You got that. You can do your homework. <laughs> and they were crying. And then I never had to fix another laptop again. You know, viruses were like a huge problem. Like they, they, it's just like a problem that's gone away. Those, like those were used to be huge problems that like took up a lot of heads. Like they took up a lot of space in your head. And now. Yeah, with the Mac, you don't have an issue. The Chromebooks, I never had an issue. I don't run Windows anymore, so I don't know if it's still an issue. Oh, I remember that. But I'm okay. All right. So high school. Talk to me about high school. Like, what were you into in high school? What were you like? You know, it's a very formative years, right? So, you know, eleventh and twelfth grade. Like, kind of, what are you interested in? What are you thinking about? You're going to be doing after high school. Yeah, I didn't have super high expectations of my life. Like I wasn't a particularly good student. I wasn't like an athlete on like a sports team doing really well. I think I was just, I had a lot, I've always had a lot of different interests, but they're not very mainstream. So I was briefly on the cheerleading team, like some freshman, sophomore year, because I really liked dancing and stuff, but there was no dance team. So I just, I didn't stick with that. And I really liked music and musical theater and stuff, but I wasn't like particularly talented at playing an instrument. So yeah, I think I was just like dabbling a lot. I also worked like three or four nights a week waitressing. I, I definitely worked a lot. So I feel like that probably just took up a lot of time in headspace, but my senior year of high school, if you were in good academic standing, which in hindsight is like kind of a miracle that I was, in a good enough academic standing on Thursdays, you could leave school for a few hours and go to the local college, which is Bowdoin college. And they have like an arts program and every, you know, they had like a, uh, like a music one, a dance one and an acting one. And each, each year or each semester, the theme was different, but I did the dance one and it was for learning East coast swing. It's like a form of jazz. And I loved it. And I think that was just, it was the first time I've ever done social dancing, like lead follow versus like learning choreography. And it was just like clicked for me. And so I got addicted to Lindy Hop. And it was just so like- Did your out. husband dance now? Do you still dance? Do you still- Yes, we met swing dancing in college. Yeah, we were both out dancing in Boston and he, I was teaching a Charleston class and he, already knew how to dance and we switched emails because this was like an eternity ago. We've actually been married for 15 years. Um, and now we've kind of aged out of Lindy Hop. It's, it's very fast and very physical and can be really demanding on your like shoulders and your joints. Like sometimes I would leave and just like feel like my shoulders were being pulled out of their sockets, especially with younger. It's like, yes, yeah, it tends to be people in their early twenties tend to do Lindy Hop. It's, it's a beautiful, Okay, but you've learned salsa. So then this, the salsa is perfect for you because you can go as fast or slow as you want. I go slow, really slow. We do right? Latin dancing, yeah. yeah. We do salsa on two, bachata now. But we've learned like West Coast swing and gone to a few kazomba classes. You know, we, we social dance, so. That's the best because you can walk into a restaurant and just dance and or a wedding or you're not like. I know, I know. Chair. He's 
My husband is super popular at weddings. Like I go to the bathroom and I come back and like all the cougars are lined up. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a rule here in Miami that if you can like salsa dance, you can walk around a bar and dance with every woman at the bar at least Absolutely. once. And then yep. you find that person that you connected with the most and then you can get like a second dance. So I, yeah, I see the old guys doing it, like 80-year-old guys. They don't stay at home. They go out and they dance all night, and it's totally, like, cool, you know. Yeah, no, it's – that was definitely a wonderful turning point for me because dancing has just been, like, great. It's great for meeting new people. It's great for your health. Um, it's a really creative outlet. And then now I travel a lot for work and stuff, and whenever I go to a new city, the first thing I try to do is just go out – dancing because you can make instant friends you don't have to speak the language like you literally don't have to talk <laughs> and you can just make instant friends and then the rest of your trip usually goes better because you get invited to like a, a house party or someone tells you about a good spot to go that's not like a tourist so have you been able to get into the underground salsa scene here in miami because there is one yeah i'm on like a bunch of whatsapp groups and people like and yeah they like tell you where to go yeah, I, I've been to a couple. I was taking lessons at one point, and my instructor was like one of these people that performed at these events. So he invited me to one of them, and it was like wild, man. Like you, at a building that you didn't really expect, you open it up, and it's like interesting. And then all of a sudden, everybody's there dancing. And I couldn't dance to that level, but I love watching people. So I just sat back, and I thought it was like, it was amazing just to be there. You're, you're loving dance. You're going to graduate soon. So what are you thinking? Like you just taking the traditional, I got to go to college next sort of track. Yeah. Even though I wasn't like particularly good in school, it was definitely clear that like, and I, and I hope this has changed in high school, but that like vocational type of work was just like only for like washouts like i i really hope it's changed because <laughs> we know that's not true um but yeah i definitely was like okay i gotta go to college and i i really shunned a lot of my interests and i just really wanted to have a lot of i wanted to have a job i wanted to have financial security that was something that was super important to me especially watching my mom like be a single mom being a nurse you know it was definitely hard work for her and she worked her tail off but i studied finance in college, even though I was really not good at it. Um, I, you know, it took four years and I like never quite got the memo that it just wasn't a good fit for me, but I am a hard worker. So I just kind of stuck, stuck it out and got, you know, a degree in finance. And then that luckily turned into a job because I did graduate. I was on track to graduate in 2009, but it took me a little longer because I was working and stuff. So I graduated 2010 and the economy was just like, <laughs> in like terrible and so well, a lot of my friends recovering from 2008 right so 2008 yeah so you know no regrets because that i studied finance but because i got a job right out of school and you know but it was not from like now i know that that was i was a fish trying to climb a tree but you didn't know that when you were doing it or or it was just uh, you know i've already pot committed yeah i just financial security was important to me i definitely wanted to have a job and I didn't, I just assumed you were like supposed to hate your job and that this was just being an adult. Like you just had to like the being an adult was just suffering. And cause my mom never really liked her work. But you didn't find 
you didn't find classes that you found enjoyable and thought maybe I want to do this instead. You just said, that's it. Put my heads down and go. Or you just didn't like school. Like I hated school. I, I was probably a worse student than you, but it was like the next thing you were supposed to do. And I didn't do, I, I got maybe a 2.3 GPA. And like, I, all I kept telling myself was the GPA is not on the diploma. So don't worry about the grades, just pass. Like, but it, that doesn't help when you're trying to get your first job because everybody's looking at GPA for your first job. I think I, I, I over time got better at school, but like, it, yeah, it just took me time. No, I mean, I took some economics classes and ended up accidentally getting a minor in econ, I guess, because I enjoyed those more. But no, I mean, I just didn't let, like, I took one creative writing class. I just didn't, to me, like anyone who was going to school for just liberal arts or music, like to me, I was just like, that must be nice, but like, that's stupid. Like you're it being just, practical. You're, you're in a practical space. But you had your dance because you said that's where you met your husband. So. Yeah, I was on a, like a, there's a local like uh, dance club that I, you know, my second year became the president of. Like, yeah, I was having fun, but I just school, like, work-wise, school-wise, I just assumed that, you know, you just kind of like live for the weekend and you just, that's what being an adult is. You just hate okay. it and you just slogged it out. So you, you slogged it out and now you're going to have to get a job in finance. You're so excited about it. How many, how many, um, how many resumes did you put out? Like, like getting out of. Well, none. So I was already married by the time I finished college, ran my husband. You got married in college. Wow. Yeah, so I was... How was everybody about that? It, nobody, everybody oh, no one liked been... it. No, like, it was a very pragmatic decision. So I had started at UNH, which I was paying out of state tuition for. And then I failed statistics twice. And I just realized that like, I'm paying all this out of state tuition. And I like have to keep taking these classes. So <laughs> I transferred to the University of Southern Maine so that I was, I was like way cheaper. But by that time I'd already met my now husband and we were dating long distance and he, he was about to graduate. Yeah. It was like, I guess it was the end between my junior year and my senior year. He had graduated then already. Yeah. He's a couple years older Okay. And we were doing long distance. I was like yeah. waitressing four nights a week, trying to go to school. Like just everything was miserable. And he was like, we should get married. And I was like, no, I have to finish college idiot. <laughs> you know? And he, he just like knows how pragmatic I am. And he's like, right. But we got married this summer. You could transfer to UMass Boston. We could live together and then you wouldn't have to work. You could just like do an internship or something. And I was like, well, I was going to marry you anyway. <laughs> it's <was> just <laughs> cheaper and easier. So we did that. So um, did you, did you have the, okay. I have to, I just have to ask. Cause now my daughters are all getting, I was in Paris last week. Because Missy wanted to get married in Paris. So now I got another girl, another daughter. Number They're all numbered. So number two got married last week in Paris. Number one's engaged for a year. And number three has her first boyfriend, which I haven't been able to meet yet. So this is all kind of all happening to me now, right? Like I'm still not grandpa yet. I tease all my friends who are grand, grandpa or grandma. It's going to happen. 
You're going to eat your shoe any day now. Yeah, at some point. So I'm just making it so it's really, really bad. So when the time comes, I'm just going to get beat up. But did you end up just doing something small? Did you do something like traditional? I'm just curious because of the age and where you're at. In between. So we got married in 2008, which one person had an iPhone at our wedding. And I share that because I think weddings have just changed since then. Like with these apps and with Pinterest and Instagram, you just see all these weddings. But like we we hadn't seen any other weddings. Like if you wanted to buy a magazine, you could go to like Barnes and Noble and buy like a wedding magazine. But like that was what you, you had not been and to a lot of weddings. I hadn't personally one? been to a lot of weddings. Like oh. I have a very small family. Like my mom's an only child. So I don't have any direct like personal cousins. That's interesting. So you didn't have any sort of bias or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not bias, but like whatever you see in the movies, the movies. You know, magazines okay. or something. But yeah, we kept it. It was big, but like cheap because we really liked dancing. And so we rented an Elks Lodge, which was like in Winthrop. It was just like not very nice. But it was like 400 bucks. And I had a huge because every place we looked at had this like teeny tiny little dance floor. I'm like, well, we do Lindy Hop that that like 10 by 10 dance floor will only fit us. <laughs> we need a huge dance floor. So the Elks Lodge was this like huge oval room that was all hardwood floors. Like the entire thing could be a dance floor. So we we're like, okay, sold. We, yeah, we kept it simple. We just like got married there and like set up the chairs and the chairs just like after. No, but those are the best weddings. I, I did my first wedding in my aunt's backyard. It lasted 12 hours and it was amazing. It was the, yeah, yeah, so we even had... my second wedding I did in our backyard and those are the best. Why well, spend all that money on a catering hall for four hours? For that kind of money, you can party for 12 hours, eat better, drink better, dance. I don't know. I'm with so you. So a lot of dancing. We had a lot of dancer friends. Um, we just like super cheap catering. Uh, a friend of mine that like from all the restaurant work I had done, she was like baked our wedding cake, which was delicious. So you had a little party. That's I, that's what I wanted to hear. I, I didn't want to hear you just went to the courthouse and because I've seen that. Like, No, we had a party, but it was like, all in all, like wedding bands, wedding dress, like literally everything was four grand. So it was like cheap. And we could have done it cheaper. Like we could have just gone to the courthouse. But yeah, we, we definitely like had a big party, but it was cheap. So now here's the here's the other. So I'm just curious because I've, I've been through all this a little bit, right? You do that wedding and then you don't have money for the honeymoon. And so you never do your Did you at least have you gone on your honeymoon yet? Even if it's like years later? Yeah, I had uh, my mom had married a guy who had um, actually um, like a condo on Miami Beach. So we were supposed to go to that for like a long weekend, but then they were doing construction. So he put us up at like a hotel. So we yeah, we, but like that is something I would have changed. So like I think I sh in hindsight, we probably should have just like gone to Acadia or like gone hike, you know, something like but in my mind, you like honeymoons were tropical. Their honeymoons had to be tropical. Like they weren't, if it, if it wasn't tropical, then it wasn't a honeymoon. That was just like my, you know, you don't know when you're like, I was 21 when I got married. And no, you don't know anything when you're young. I just, but those are the mistakes like I made. I, we got married in first marriage and I went right, right, did the party and went to work the next day. Like, like didn't have that moment. And I don't know, like you got to have that. 
moment, right? So now my my wife now, we go on, on our anniversary, we go on a cruise like every year or something. I we make it a point to do something on the anniversary. Yeah. It's good to mark the year, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're you've getting married in college, you're you're now moving in with your husband, you're switching schools again, I guess. Um you're gonna graduate with this degree in finance and you were saying kind of you already had a job or something coming out of college. Yeah. So I went to the council guidance counselor's office and I was like, what's the best paying internship that I can get? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to work for free. <laughs> what's the best paying one? She's like state street bank. It's $14 an hour. So I was like, I'm there. So I applied for that and I had this 20 hour week internship my senior year of college, which like literally rolled straight into a full-time job. Like I actually did my graduation in the morning and then I went to my internship like that afternoon. What were you doing at the bank? Were you doing telework or desk work or? Just like the worst monkey number crunching work you could ever imagine. Yeah, we were, I was a fund accountant. So you're basically you know, State Street's a custodial bank. And so they're processing, like, I don't even know, but they're like processing expenses, you know, interest, and then reporting the net asset value to NASDAQ. Like every doing day. accounting work in a sense. Yeah, it's just like accounting work on like custodial clients. And you're dreaming about dancing while you're crunching numbers all day because. Yeah, Boston had a great dancing. So it was definitely like going out dancing. Um, but yeah, again, like I was just like, I hated it. I was bad at it, but I just assumed that like, this is what being an adult is and you just have to be miserable. Like that's. So, so how long did you do that for? A few years. So like my internship, you know, was for the, the year. And then I worked there for two more years. And then I guess I thought in my, I had it in my mind that maybe I didn't like it because it was such a big company and that I would enjoy like. I would enjoy maybe working at a smaller place. Uh, so I went to this real estate investment firm called AEW and it was like a thousand dollars more per year and like a way longer commute. And I just like hated that even more. And I was just like, Oh no, <laughs> like, what have I done? You know? So yeah, I didn't last long. I don't know how long I worked there, but it maybe it was like a year, but I ended up quitting that job with nothing lined up. I was like, I gotta, I was like depressed and I was miserable. Like just. Your husband must've seen it too. Your husband must've been telling you quit, 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 quit. He was so supportive. Like I got to the point where I was just like really anxious about work and depressed about work that he would. And I, I felt like I was perform like having low performance. So I'd get to work extra early so that I could just like have some breathing space to like try to not suck at my job. So he would drive me to work because my, the commute was like hellish too. So he would just like get up early and drive me to work and like try to just send me on my way with a hug. <laughs> but yeah, he was very supportive, but like it was not a solvable, like it just wasn't solvable. It was just not going to. So is this the point where you're like, I, I have to get out of finance. I just don't want to do this work anymore. Yeah. And I was like, 
really desperate or like sad about it because I'm just like, I spent so much effort getting my degree, you know, and I was definitely like falling victim to the sunk cost fallacy of like, oh, well, this is the only train track you can be on. I think uh, around this time, my husband and I had both read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week book. I had got, we were living in Boston and we had gotten into our heads that we wanted to work in tech. What was your husband doing that he wasn't in tech yet? He was a mechanical engineer. So we both have changed our careers pretty drastically. He was a mechanical engineer and he had a pretty cool job. He was working, his first job out of college was working at like an R&D shop. Um, they did like, they do some like interesting, cool work. It's a small firm, but yeah. So we had got it in our heads from this Tim Ferriss book that we needed to work in tech. And, uh, I had been, we had both been applying to jobs. We were so young and inexperienced that no one was like going to fly us to San Francisco for an interview. Yeah. But you had, you're in Boston. I mean, you got MIT, you got, um, there had to be, I mean, Boston's a pretty good tech city. Did not even occur to me to try to work in tech in Boston. Just like didn't think it existed. Like didn't even Silicon think. Valley was the radar screen. Just did not even occur to me. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. Which is like dumb, but that's, that's the truth. Um, yeah. So I was like not working. Ryan had his, had a job as mechanical engineer. And so we agreed that I would fly to San Francisco. I bought a one-way ticket and I would rent a room from someone on Craigslist, because by the way, like Airbnb didn't exist. I would like rent a room from someone on Craigslist. And if I could find, I had 30 days to find a job and apartment. And if I could do that, I wouldn't come home and Ryan would give up his notice at his job and he would follow me. Wow. Okay. Time out. This is too good. This is like 2014, right? Around well, 2012. 2012. So was this, deal made over drinks one night because this seems like insane to me we are insane and we don't drink that much so like no we weren't drunk but this seemed like a good plan and like i don't think our family really took me seriously because they're like okay like she's lost it like she'll be back so you go wow 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 i i love this this is amazing to me yeah it was fun it was fun yeah so i showed up and i just like I realized that trying to find a like tech job, like real like corporate jobs just don't happen that fast. So I just got a bartending job within like six days. I had a bartending job. I just like, I showed up with resumes already printed out, like planning to get a bartending job. Cause I'd worked in restaurants and some pretty nice restaurants like growing up. And you make good tips at the bar bartending too. So you can make some money. Getting a job was actually really easy. I had one in like six days, but the apartment proved harder. It's like, San Francisco even then was expensive and like I didn't realize how big the city was and like I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so that that was harder to do. I ended up signing a lease and like moving in on like literally the last day of my 30 days. And like I wouldn't have been home like out on the street, but I would have been like sleeping on this like stranger's couch because he was coming back and needed his room back. So after the 30 days, even though you didn't have a tech job, you still committed to San Francisco. Yeah, because I had income from this like bartending job and I was working a lot. So like that was enough. But your husband was coming to San Francisco or had he, had he come at least once in those 30 days? Neither of us had ever been to San Francisco and he didn't visit. We didn't have enough money to like check it out. Ignorance is bliss. 
Ignorance like, is bliss. <laughs> you need a level of ignorance. When I hear these types of stories, uh, everybody's always thinking like, how, if my kid ever tried to do this, I would kill him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I was pretty lonely because it was just like, that was yeah. the first time I'd ever really gone somewhere. Like I'd never been to San Francisco, didn't know anyone. And so, and people like really think, I like, I don't think Ryan loves when I tell the story, but I don't think anyone thought I was going to like pull it off. So I think they were just like, you know, she's lost. She's going to find herself. She'll be back. But then when it like all became real and Ryan was like packing up our shit and like, following me out they like threw him a big going away party like a banner was printed like there was a cake and i was like dude i did all <laughs> what the so heck I was, like, sad and lonely like watching all these like going away party pictures on facebook and i was no, like all somebody right, well, find me a ticket back because hell no so you found the tech job then event yeah so sure shortly after i was applying for Kind of just like office manager jobs because i just i didn't want to work in finance i didn't really know what i was qualified for so i was just like applying to office manager jobs um and i ended up getting a job at this company called sauce labs which you actually might know they're in the de developer tool space they do automated browser testing using like selenium and you know i'm not a front-end developer so I'm more of a back-end so that sounds like front-end stuff but what is it? What, yeah, okay, it's fine. So you got a job at a tech company doing. Yeah, so they liked that I had a finance background. They like wanted me to help with like some stuff, some stuff, which I was fine with because I was like, you know, it's I'll take I'll take what I can like whatever I can get. And then I help. I think it helped me like negotiate a slightly higher salary and stuff. But um, yeah, it was just like invoicing clients and like doing some accounting work, like a lot of operational stuff too. Like I ended up finding us new office space, negotiating like a, a lease, managing the office bill that like, you know, it wasn't just. Were they a big company? Like, no, I was like 19th. Okay. All right, small. So it's small. Yeah. At that point, they're almost startup-y. Very startup-y. Yeah. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. It was pretty early days. So, you know, it's kind of like do a lot of, it was like some very strategic stuff, like helping closing the most recent funding round and then like ordering lunch. <laughs> like it was just like a lot of. You're like in the swing of what San Francisco tech is at that point, the whole raising money, getting a And sauce was very techy, like very, very engineering driven organization, like super startup y. Like we were in this like kind of warehousey building in like deep Soma. Like it, it wasn't like a glitzy consumer tech. It was. But it was cool, right? You must've been at some point like surrealist just saying, wow, I'm like, I'm actually in, in this now. Like I'm here. It's yeah. Like, to like yeah. go from like what you think it is from reading the four hour work week <laughs> and then like starting to, you know, look around. Yeah. Just like expectations first reality was very different, but I really liked it because it was my work was very dynamic. Like I had to be kind of a chameleon and just like very like ownership focused, like can do attitude. And you weren't like bored. It wasn't the same thing every day. Exactly. So, and I, which is, I, I found that I was like really good at it. It was like, I was like helping with fundraising paperwork and planning Christmas parties. And like, I just enjoyed how dynamic it was. And it really suited me. And 
like one of the first things I did was plan their Christmas party and John Dunham, who's the CEO there, he, I felt like he really saw me and he gives out these kind of superlative awards to everyone during this Christmas party. And he gave me the, uh, Fernando or Fernando Cortez award for like coming to the new world and burning the ships, like just, <laughs> just like coming in and going all in, like as soon as I got there. So I was like, oh, I feel really seen, you know, like yeah. I didn't get a birthday, like I didn't get a going away banner, but like I got the I got this. Cortez award. And you didn't get the, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so do, does your husband line up a job first and then go out or he just No, did... he just came out like I did and just started like pounding the pavement looking for wow. That's amazing. How long did it take him to find another opportunity? A while. Mechanical engineering jobs are just like, don't really exist in Silicon Valley. So he definitely struggled. And that was part of why he ended up transitioning and working in, in tech. So that's all happening between 2012 and 2000. So how long are you at this company then? I was there for about three years. Yeah. Wow. So what happens after three years? Are you losing interest? You're bored? You're, something comes across your, your plate? Yeah. So while I was there, I kind of discovered marketing, which is what I am like much better at doing now. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of like smaller projects that kind of opened my eyes to it. And one, I was helping with fundraising. So I was in charge of the like fundraising pitch deck. And initially it was supposed to just be like the numbers, making sure like, okay, month end close, like update revenue, update our CAC, like, I, you know, update all the numbers for fundraising. And I was kind of project managing the process too. And, but I really enjoyed kind of making the deck look great and like finesse and copy or whatever. And someone pointed out to me that like, that's marketing type work. And then uh, the sales team, had been trying to close a really big deal with Yahoo is like a million dollars and Yahoo had been like kind of in and out with sauce. Like we're going to build it ourselves. We're going to go with you. We're going to build ourselves a very hot and cold. And so because I was like, Oh, and I ended up transitioning out of office manager work, work and like straight into finance, like more of a pure finance role eventually. Um, and because I had, you know, access to all of our numbers and data center access, I ended up building this, like ROI calculator, which is kind of a sales enablement asset now. I didn't really know what to call it then, but the, the sales team could just ask a bunch of discovery questions, like how many engineers, what's your downtime, how many, you know, what are your, like, what's your hardware costs? And this calculated, like based on engineering downtime, depreciation schedules, and like a bunch of stuff, like what the actual, like the real, like including hitting costs would be, not just like the hard costs of like managing a data center. And so, you know, I don't know how much that like influenced the deal, but they ended up like closing the deal with Yahoo and this like calculator I made was kind of part of the process. And so, yeah, a few people like had pointed out to me that like, oh, this is marketing. <laughs> I was like, okay, I want to do that. So the, um, there's this guy, Mark DeVisser, who is kind of like a fractional CMO. He was going to go in-house at a company and he's like, hey, just come follow me. And like, you can like figure out marketing. So he, like, without him, I, I think it would have been way harder to transition. So he worked at the company you were at and he was transitioning out or this was a relationship? Yeah, he was like a consultant, like a fractional CMO. Um, okay. 
And then, yeah, he kind of just like recruited me to go with him at his next job. So I worked under him just like trying to not suck. <laughs> but you had to kind of build the marketing de department in a sense in this new gig. Well, he was building it. I was just helping him to like, you know, a lot of like events and email campaigns and like redoing the website and but so the the company was actually like doomed to fail which i kind of saw pretty early because you know having a finance background you can kind of start seeing all these numbers and you're like hmm, something's not adding up so i despite surviving like two other rounds of layoffs like i was laid off within six months and so was so was mark um but by that time i had figured out that i wanted to do product marketing rather than just like whatever generic marketing and there was a company called intercom that was hiring a product marketer and so while being laid off i was just like i only applied to intercom i was like i'm gonna put every best egg in this basket <laughs> <laughs> and try to get this job and if i don't get it then i'll go you know i'll start like spraying and praying but i was worried that i didn't six months wasn't long enough to be a marketer i was afraid i'd have to go back to finance but i like really didn't want to do that but I got. I ended up getting a job at Intercom, so it nice. worked out. Nice. So now we're talking like 2015 ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now it's a big company, not a tiny Bigger. company. Right? Yeah, it was like maybe 200 people. I don't know. I don't actually know. It was hard to kind of count because they like were half in Ireland and half in San Francisco. But I think okay. it was about 200 because there was like about 100 people in the San Francisco office. And how long were you at this company for? About three years. Three years. Yeah. And you were, they have physical product at this company, right? You were. Intercom? Oh, no, yeah. no. It's. Um, what are they doing? They're like the the chat, like live chat that you see in a lot of websites. But they oh, have, like, they're kind of powered okay. by JavaScript. So they have a lot of like tagging and like audience insights and variables. So they were competing in multiple categories, like customer support. So they're trying to go after Zendesk for customer support. They're, you know, a live chat tool. And then they also have like outbound marketing message. So they're competing against like MailChimp and, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, they've done incredibly well. Like Intercom was definitely like on a rocket ship, like crushing it. So pe like people in the Valley were kind of starting to whisper about Intercom. Like I knew it was going to pop at some point. So then what were you doing there? What skill sets did you end up? Was it the same sort of skill set that you grew or were you able to even learn different things? Yeah, so I had to completely learn like what the heck product marketing was. I was, I was Googling it a lot. Uh, yeah, so you're basically in charge of like you, you get partnered with a product manager and you're really trying to grow the adoption revenue of that particular product. And so a lot of trying to position the product, a lot of messaging, a lot of copywriting, a lot of feature launches, some product launches, a lot of sales enablement, just like really trying to review the funnel to make sure it's like a great signup experience, trying to see if you can decrease churn. You know, there was a word back, I didn't like this word, but there was this word back then for this stuff. I think it was called growth hacking, something like that. Is that what you were kind of doing? Yeah. So a guy named Ben worked at Intercom and he had a like kind of a viral blog post that was like growth hacking is bullshit. And so okay. it wasn't yeah. <laughs> it wasn't growth hacking me. Like growth like growth now is kind of like a lot of ad channels, 
you know, like. What about conferences? Were you going to conferences or doing even events at that point? And that wasn't even, that stuff wasn't on radar screens in 15. No, we, yeah, Intercom didn't really have like much of an event strategy. I mean, they hosted their own event, but like, yeah, I wasn't at the time we weren't like going to a lot of conferences or hosting any meetups or anything. Um, but yeah, while I was there, I helped launch two products. So one was a help center product. Um, and then also released the bot called operator, which has now since been like sunsetted because they've come out with like a better bot powered by GPT and stuff. But yeah, at the time, like those were pretty, like two pretty, pretty big, like high visibility launches because the company didn't have a ton of products. So that was really fun. And those, that work was super suited to me, you know, some finance backgrounds, like being, you know, being able to talk about pricing, analyze data, not, not being afraid of data, but then really creative. So a lot of copywriting, kind of creating product tutorial videos, writing blog posts. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of interested in growth from a career perspective. Were you starting to become more in management at this point, or you still were like a, I guess an ice. No, I wasn't managing one. No, but just like, I would say, you know, a high performing IC, like the product marketers at Intercom were all like pretty smart and weren't necessarily managing people, but we're definitely getting a lot done. Like, so when we launched like a product, you know, I would be the kind of overall like project manager for it. And it's like 65 people they have to kind of corral. So, you know, in a sense, some management experience, but not, not directly responsible for hiring or firing or anything. So then why do you leave in three years? Cause now it's like 2018. You've, you're now a marketer for at least five years on paper, right? So what happens next? Yeah, I, I mean, I was definitely enjoying it, but I think I was just like, I, I get bored easily. <laughs> I was going to say three years is your kind of bored mark. Like every Apparently, years, yeah. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I like, I think I could have definitely stayed longer at Intercom and like maybe some people would say I should have stayed longer, but at that point I was interested in moving back to the East coast. So I wanted to move to New York to be closer to family, but still like in like a big city and like a big tech hub. So I had kind of thought like, you know, I'm not in a rush, but I'm going to put it out into the universe. And as an opportunity presents itself, I will see about moving to New York. And then someone I had met and kind of been like well acquainted with, I had done a little bit of moonlighting work for him. He, uh, it was a fintech company, wanted me to come and be head of marketing. And that just seemed like a great opportunity to be, you know, head of marketing, first marketing hire, very early stage company. And it was for a finance product, which I thought made so much sense uh, because I have a finance background. Um, so I joined, but I didn't stay. I only stayed about six months. I just, it just wasn't a fit for me. Um, maybe because it's like working with finance people is just like too much back. Well, New York finance is a lot different than anything on the West coast. Right. I mean, well, it wasn't New York finance. Like it was a true like tech company. Like a true, it wasn't like a typical finance thing, but yeah, I just, it just wasn't for me. So um, and my husband was already like 
in New York trying to get a job. So we were like kind of in between two places. And I was just like, ah, you know what? You're doing it again. You're deciding to move. One one goes and then the, you're kind of doing it again, going back. Consistently crazy. We're, consi <laughs> we're consistently crazy. And so I was just like, you know what? It's, it's not a good fit. I think I'm just going to freelance for a while until I like, I'm just going to cool off and like stop being so impulsive. And I'm just going to, Freelance for a little while until I find like the right. And you're in New York already, so. Yeah, and like New York's fun. But then I made like 200 grand freelancing and I was like oh. going to yoga classes at 1 p.m. and like grocery shopping on Monday mornings. And I was like, huh, maybe. How did you I... find your clients for the freelancing? They were just there? Intercom was super, no, I didn't really have New York clients. Intercom was just super like popular and well-known. And I just sent like one email to pe people in my network. And I was like, I'm people that were using the product. And no, I, I think people just read the intercom blog and I had written a blog post about product marketing at intercom that kind of like got some people's attention. But no, I mean, I, at this point, like I was pretty well connected in tech because I've worked at three startups and um, yeah. So I just emailed people in my network and was like, Hey, I'm freelancing like call me if you need a product marketer. And then I was just like instantly booked. That must've felt great. It did. I mean, I made like a lot of, like I totally burned myself out, like took on too much undercharge, like all sorts of like every, you know, it's mistake. The learning, it's the learning curve really. Yeah. Like, I was, everybody but despite that. every mistake I made, I still made like 192 grand that year. So I was like, actually, <laughs> this is like, I don't think you made any mistakes. I, I, we did this. I did the same thing. We were undercharging in the beginning just to get the work because you need money coming in. Eventually, you establish yourself and you have enough work that you're like, sorry, you know. So and I'm, I have a high tolerance for risk, probably more so than the normal person. And so I would just like hold the line and be like, this is my new rate. And I'm just going like, to yes. wait for the right thing to come. You know, I would kind of hold the line because um, it is really easy to fall into that cycle of like, oh, my God, I'm never going to eat again. Oh, my God, I'm never going to sleep again. And like, I definitely felt like victim to that, but maybe less so than like the average. The first like two weeks you raise your rates, you panic because everybody's saying no. Am I like, am I too audacious? And yeah. And then you get the one person to bite. And you're like, okay, this just validated it. But it is, it's a rough couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I will say because of my finance experience back at Sauce, I knew what people were charging. Like, <laughs> I I, right. And I kind of had seen like how the, how invoicing works and like what typical contract terms were. Like I did, I came at it more informed probably than the average like marketer who's never worked in finance. So I knew that they were just like really, really crappy consultants, like charging a grand a day easy and yeah. like no one was batting at it. So I kind of like knew what was possible and just went for that. That's awesome. So now you're essentially running your own business in 2018 as a freelance. Yeah, yeah. just freelancing. Um, and then how I ended up being part of all of mine is um, my dear friend, Ashley Wilson. She had been the director of marketing at Sauce Labs. Well, when I was going to intercom, she was freelancing. And so she had been freelancing under the name Olivine and like working and like building up an agency with her and another designer. And 
um, a film filmmaker. And so I had like too much demand for my work. And I like had, I was on the verge of landing a really big client that I like didn't quite have the capacity to take on. <laughs> and so I asked him like, do you want to partner up on this? We could, like test, test it out, like working together again. So we did. And it went great because like the work is easier, faster, and better when you have someone else to kind of bounce ideas off of. So we really enjoyed doing that. And then we ended up kind of merging and, and wow. forming and growing Olivine more serious, you know, into a bigger thing. So now it's a, you know, a bigger agency. It's got like employees and staff and freelancers. And that's what you're doing now. And you're still doing that. Yeah. So um, Ashley kind of stepped away from her co-founder role to form a startup, like maybe even three, two, three years ago. During summer of 2020, her and her husband and one other co-founder started a SaaS startup called Momentum. And so I had been kind of running things, but we have a VP of operations who's fantastic and kind of growing things there. And then, yeah, now with this new project I have coming up, I'm kind of start in the early phases of like unwinding that myself um, slowly. But yeah, Olivine will like continue existing. It is like, it's humbling, but it doesn't actually like need me every day. Yeah, that's my dream to get to a point with my business where I'm not needed uh, much so I could walk away, but the engine keeps running, right? Like I don't want to sell it. I just want the engine to run. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a fantastic team of people and they do incredible work. And so, yeah, it'll, it'll keep living on. So let's get kind of back to where we started now. So you've been bouncing ideas off of your, you and your husband have been bouncing all these ideas off and you, you've come up with a product, software product, I'm guessing that you're super interested in, in uh, devoting some time and money into. So t talk about, if you can, if it's not too, I don't know if this is stealth startup here, but. Like this is definitely the first time I've talked about it and like, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll just like, I'm, I'm usually slightly, sometimes I'm an overshare, but yeah, I'll, I'll share what I am ready to share. So ask anything. Yeah. I don't know what to ask. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of interested in what space this is in. Yeah. So I think it, you know, right. We're going to stay super focused on kind of this need came about from this all in kind of community that I've been building. And so definitely going to just, first of all, start solving my own problems, um, hosting these meetups, ho hosting these worldwide events. Um, but I, I think we're going to end up taking kind of like a, uh, like high end of the market approach and see if we can build some of these other communities with these other like mega podcasters. So, um, probably going to try to do it with this weekend startups after all in I've heard some interest from like another kind of top business podcast. It's like, just literally like a passing thing in verbal. So like not real, but going to start there. And then I'm, I'm just like not being too prescriptive about the long-term bigger vision of it because I don't know, I'm just going to like solve my own problem first and then see, see what rabbits I can pull out of hats on it. Yeah, I, I like the idea that you have to dog food it. I, I've tried to build products that I d 
didn't necessarily need myself, but thought I saw a need and they have never worked out. If you're not solving for me, you can solve other people's problems. It's been done before. I've never been able to do it successfully. Yeah, we, I mean, we kind of crash and burn with Paddock's this like patent tool. We, we had met a friend at a coffee, like became friends with someone at a coffee shop who is like a patent and like expert witness on like kind of IP law. And over, you know, over the weeks and months of getting to know him, he's just like, oh, I have this problem. Do you think data science can solve it? And like Ryan built a lot of products um, and we had some kind of early like red herrings, like false positives. But just when it came down to it, it's just like we're not well connected in law. These people are very slow, like late, you know, technology adopters. If you don't have the relationships in place, you're just like we just like couldn't find anyone to sell it. Like to even get to use it. Like I remember we posted it on like a subreddit for patent people and being like, Hey, this, like, we think this will save you like 40 or 50% of your time on reviewing patents. Like, cause they want to want to get on the free beta. And like, literally their response was like, no, you pay us to try your product. And we're like, okay, never mind. This is not going to work. Wrong people. Wrong. Sorry, everybody. We're at the wrong party. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm at a point almost where I don't want to build anything unless I have a couple of people slash companies already interested in trying it out for me. A hundred percent, which is what we have now. So the, the, the event thing we're building is called Rafa, um, R-A-F-F-A, but yeah. So I'm like, I, I know I have like one customer lined up. I have my own need. I know exactly what the job to be done is. I'm just going to like start there. That is awesome. And this is your first, I guess this is really your, well, not your first, but this is your second. Third, I'd say, because we, we, after Miami Hack Week, we built this Slack bot called Yentapot that like won, you know, it won the Hack Week. We got some angel interest and we like thought about giving it a go. Um, but I think I'm just, after Paddix, I'm better at saying, no, that's not for me, like sooner. Um, so yeah, I would say this is like a third try on top of, you know. So they say it's your third. They say your third rodeo is where you tend to succeed. So. And then maybe it's the fourth because like all of mine isn't a software company, but it is a successful company. Like True. it's, you know, it's profitable. It employs people like, yeah. So maybe it's the fourth try. I don't know. Well, if that company is not really a product software product company, so you've you've succeeded in that space. This is your third attempt to succeed in. Yeah, third product try, but like I would say a lot of learnings from growing Olivine, like just oh, hiring, yeah. managing people, like you know, taxes, <laughs> lots of learnings. Just, if you survive after five years with all the mistakes that you are going to make, you you tend to get through that. My first business, we did not survive after five years. It was ugly. Second one, yes. But, I mean, you make devastating mistakes that will bury your company and you just crawl out of them if you can. We've survived. And we've had some close, you know, some tough market conditions. Like last last summer, kind of, it just felt like the floor dropped out from, like on the demand side from clients, you know. So we've had some like hot water moments for sure, but we just... We have like 10, about 10 minutes left. So, I, I, but I do have this question because as business owners, um, especially right now, I'm trying to evaluate when this tech hiring freeze 
this, I think self-prescribed recession we're about to get into. I, I don't think that the economy is as bad as everybody's making it out to be. And I think we're creating, in my opinion, I think we're creating our own recession here. For everybody listening, uh, Ray's power went out in the middle of what I was saying. We got her back. No video. She's on a hot spot. Hey, this is life. This is what happened. So let me let me get back to what I was kind of asking because I'm really interested in your opinion. I think what we've got happening right now is a self-proclaimed recession. I feel like all these tech free these freezes and hires and these layoffs are somewhat unnecessary. But I don't know. I was hoping by the summer this was going to resolve. Now I don't think it's going to get resolved till next year. I, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are and kind of what's happening in tech right now and hiring and all that stuff. Yeah. So I think that it was, it's like, um, it's a result of overheated, like way, way too much hiring from the past kind of boom after COVID. And so if you look at, you know, some of the numbers like Facebook, they were just hiring like crazy. And so even though they laid off like 11% of their workforce, most of that was hired in the last two years. Like it isn't, I think it's just kind of them getting back down to baseline because they were too frothy for a while there. Um, and I think it's just like a zero interest rate phenomenon with companies just being overly zealous or overly optimistic about growth rates. And, you know, I see it a lot in like in tech with people just not really bringing prudent business fundamentals. And if you are venture backed, you don't really have to be that prudent sometimes. Whereas if you're bootstrapped and running or trying to run a profitable business, you're just like a lot more realistic. So, yeah, I don't know if it's exactly self-imposed rather than like self-deserved. But I do think we're going to be in it for a while, especially because variable rates on housings have gone up. So everyone's mortgage is now more expensive. Oh, the rent here in Miami went up 30 something percent in the last two years. It's crazy. But I'm I'm just wondering if the crypto markets hadn't imploded and all the web three companies hadn't started the the uh the cold winter on all this, how many of these other companies would have jumped in? I almost feel like they took advantage of of a climate where I mean, Google's still going to make $2 billion next quarter, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I think there's kind of like contagious inflation in the sense that like, oh, well, you know, my the cafe down the street raised their prices so I can get away with raising my prices, even if my margins, you know, haven't been hurt. And then I think other companies are like, okay, well, right now you know, it's not that embarrassing to do a layoff because everyone else is doing a layoff. Like, let's just, you know, rather than having the tough calls of like doing actual performance reviews, like let's just do a, you know, a broad cut. Um, because I do think a lot of these tech companies, they are like, it's hard to get fired from some of these bigger tech companies. Like you can, you can coast for quite a while. And so sometimes I'm like, are these like, recession layoffs or are these just performance layoffs that they're doing under the umbrella of the recession? But I mean, I think tons of companies overhired in the past two or three years and they just had to go back to baseline. My biggest thing, and I've, I've been saying this for 20 years to people, is I think the salaries, um, 
especially with a couple of the big companies here in Miami who had the, the purchasing power. I think the salaries were out of whack as well. And I, I've met young people who were like, I want to take this job because it's extra money. And I said, you're not worth that money. You take that job and you get yourself to a means that you need that salary and you lose that job, you're in trouble. Don't do it because that's what's going to happen to you. And a few people have listened to me and then thanked me, thanked me later. So I, I think salaries, for me, salaries were way out of bounds. You could have kept the workforce if you had paid everybody what was reasonable. Yeah, a normal amount. Same with title inflation. You know, I've, I've been offered better titles um, for jobs, but I'm like, like when I joined that fintech company, I could have, I think I probably could have convinced him to give me like a VP of marketing title if I wanted or something. But then it's like, okay, if I get laid off or this just like doesn't work out, now the next job I'm going to be competing with other actual VPs of marketing. Like, do I really want to do that? No, I don't. Um, so yeah, I, you know, Ryan and I have always tried to live off of one income and, you know, doesn't always work out, but that's usually the goal. And I do see a lot of people just upping their lifestyle. And so this whole salary is just like going flush down the toilet because you're not actually making any progress on your savings. You know, I've, I've gotten my kids to a point now where they're saving at least 500 to a thousand a month and making them live on the, I, I, even I, and you know, I'm 50 now I'm doing better, but I've always tried to, I started at maybe like 50% of salary. I I try to live at like 20% of salary right now. Yeah. Um, right. Because I mean, honestly, I want to retire at some point too. Right. But I just don't want to get caught where even I lose everything and I got to go work somewhere. Like what kind of salary can I get? Maybe I can get 150,000. Maybe I can get 180,000 a year. So if I'm not living on that now, like, what am I doing to myself? It doesn't matter how much money I'm making now if I end up there. Yeah. And just like freedom of time. And, you know, I think because we've lived frugally, we've had the money to invest in our own businesses and to take time off or to take chances. And um, yeah, I just see people like, yeah, maybe their their annual salary is more than mine, but they don't have more freedom than me. Like they can't take time, like meaningful time off or decide on what they're going to work on. Yeah. My dad always said, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you save. Yep. That's totally. It. That's all that matters. Ray, it's been amazing talking to you for the last almost hour and a half. I know you got to, you got to jump and I've already taken too much of your time. So um, if anybody wants to reach out to you after listening and we'll get it in the show notes, but real quick, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, I got to, personal website that I keep reasonably up to date, raylambert.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Rachel Lambert, but it's spelled funny. It's R-A-E-C-H-E-L-L-A-M-B-E-R-T. Yeah, those are kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I guess, but I tend to prefer Twitter these days. All right. So this is Ray and Bill with the On Labs podcast signing off and hope to see everybody again real soon. 